0: Carpenter's Way, why don't you guys get up on your feet, find somebody and tell them good morning.
1: Good morning everybody. For those in this room, those watching on the internet and our Brazil team that are making their way back, yes Tamara I got your text message just now. They are watching, streaming, I I have no idea where they are, I'm sure they'll let me know in a second here, but uh, we have two mission teams on their way back to the states right now. One was in Brazil for this last week, one was in Guatemala and we want to be praying for them as they make their way back. We have missed you, we're looking forward to having you home and hearing the stories of all. Uh, but good morning, it's good to see you guys. Thank you for being here today. I I don't, uh, we, in in the worship guide, would you review the stuff coming up? Uh, it, we have Ignition Weekend for the uh, student ministry, 6th through 12th graders. This gets them uh, refocused for ministry over the next year, and uh, that's really an important weekend in preparation for school. School's mission opportunities. Uh, also, we, uh, I think it's next Sunday, it's Promotion Sunday. So, um, your kids will be going into the next grade or the next teaching group. If you have questions about that, you can grab uh, Jeff Bonin or Mark Dubos or Alicia Bonin if your kids are in children ministry and they can answer those questions for you. Uh, but I don't, I don't really want to spend a lot of time on announcements this morning. My heart is heavy. Um, can you believe what happened last night? Another shooting in El Paso and another one in Dayton, Ohio. I just, I just want to remind you Wherever you are in the political aisle, this is not a political problem. This is a heart problem. It's not new. Um, We just watched recently another movie about Bonnie and Clyde. Many of you grew up hearing stories about them, being in East Texas. They slaughtered police officers. And why? Because they have a dark heart. People need Jesus, you guys. And and with all we've been talking about, this is a message before the message, and I'm not going to charge you for it. But I want to remind you, that the reason we need to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit is because that is what is salt and light to the world. The Holy Spirit, as the temple of the Holy Spirit, who we are in Christ is what will make a difference. Not our rhetoric, not our morality, not our, not our preaching, not, not our even our politics. There's not a political answer to this crisis. There never has been. It is Jesus Christ, and we carry the hope of the gospel with us and through us as we offer hope to people. Do not let this please whether you are on the right or left do not let this push you into a political corner for anger that is part of the problem you offer them jesus jesus really is the answer to the world's needs and uh, and there is more we can do people are pushing back on hope and you know on praying my thoughts and prayers are with you and it's kind of shallow if we're going to yell at people or when they cut us off in traffic we as believers yell at folks the truth is we're part of the problem but we're also the solution Jesus Christ living in us and through us, we are the hope givers. So reach out to people. Love people through, let Jesus love people through you and I. And we need to pray. We need to pray for our our world. It's not just our country, guys. It's going on all over the place. And um, Satan is going to try to counterfeit the hope of God through some political means. It doesn't last. And uh, my heart is heavy this morning. I just want to remind you. God, through you, is the hope of the world. You, in East Texas, for real. When you go and you get bad, bad service in a restaurant, how do you react to that person? When you see somebody that has a, a different socioeconomic status, or you're at Walmart, and you see somebody that just drives you nuts, and you want to grab them, why do you want to grab them? Why do you want to get in their face? What are we doing? We are messengers of hope. That's who we are. It's not just what we are, it's who we are. And, and, i'm afraid we've lost our saltiness. not carpenter's way the body of christ and uh, we've got to move back from our political posture and we've got to share hope with people Um, because the answer is not found in a stronger america the answer is not found in a more compassionate america the answer is found in a relationship with god through his son jesus christ and and that is our task and that's our calling if you're visiting with us this morning um, welcome i want to put this in some context every week on Sunday morning especially, we gather as God's kids to remind each other of our hope in God. That's what we do. And so as, as we are so glad you're here and, and our hope and our prayers. You're encouraged having been with us. But this is a weekly dialogue about how God is asking us to impact our culture uh, and, and what, what we are not only to do but what we are to be. And so it's important. What I need to do as a, as a pastor is keep reminding our flock, the answer to this is not anger and more bullets. The answer to this is hope in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He transforms. And that's what we're learning. And uh, we're going to be more into it today. So so keep, when, when your flesh starts raging, you just keep keep reminding yourself, uh, my hope is in the Lord who has made heaven and earth. Our hope is in the Lord. Uh, if you're discouraged, why so downcast, oh my soul, put your hope in God. God is the answer. And uh, my my. I'm grieved because I don't think a lot of us know that because we've never really put our hope in God alone. And uh, so I encourage you this morning, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and God will take care of the rest of these things. Pray, speak love and hope, encouragement into people's lives, speak truth. Sin still needs to be dealt with through Jesus Christ on the cross, but ultimately be a messenger of hope. And and we're going to spend a few moments praying um, for those who are negatively affected in Ohio and and El Paso. Uh, we are in crisis as a nation, as we have always been. Um, our, our world needs Jesus. So um, I think that's all the announcements I'm going to make right now. I am going to ask our ushers to come forward as we prepare for our offering. Uh, if you are visiting with us this morning, we are so glad you're here. We are in the midst right now of a study of Jesus on out of the all four Gospels. We're trying to discover together uh, who Jesus is, from a chronological look at all four Gospels. So we're doing the best we can to marry them all together and kind of walk through his life. We, we need to go back and discover who Jesus said he was. And so that's what we're doing. And you're joining us in the middle of that. We are in our 23rd week of that, of 742 weeks it's going to take to get through the life of Jesus. And then we'll start over. Um, you never laugh at that. Have, are my jokes old? Is that what's going on here? What I, I need to do is I need to turn down the air conditioner 62 and then you'll give them Seriously? Seriously? You're going to have to give more if we do that. So <laughs> anyway, thanks for being with us. If you're watching on the Internet, we want you to know, we, and, or in this room and you're visiting, we, we really do want you to like us. There's no doubt about that, and we'd love to see you come back. But we really want you to fall in love with Jesus. He is the answer to your needs and your concerns and, and, and your fears and worries. And, and uh, Julie and I are after the service this morning. I'm going to be up here praying with people about 5, 10 minutes after that. I am going. I'd love to shake your hand and answer any questions that you have. Uh, Christian or about Carpenter's way, but I'd love to meet you and thank you for being with us. Um, I want to remind those of you who've been visiting with us that the truth is if you're seeking relationships with God's people, that's not going to be found in this group. It's going to be found in our Bible studies, and I would love to, to take you to one, or we have others. Uh, who would be glad to, to usher you to one so that you can start building relationships with God, people and be prayed for and pray for others. and It's all about relationships, first with God and then each other. And that's just hard to do in a setting like this. So we break it down at other times for, in smaller groups, and we want to introduce you and, and make you a part of those. So at least try it. Um, so uh, we need you to be a little bold, and, and, uh, and you can hand me a note that says, show me a Bible study if you don't want to look in my eyes. I'll, I'll close them and direct you to one. So that wasn't funny either, huh? Okay, 62 next week. Let's pray. God, we love you. <clears throat> we really do love you. And we're thankful that you promise us life after death. But you actually promised us abundant life here and, and to use us and to, and, as making us your workmanship. And we are here, Father, not just to waste oxygen or to keep America strong. We are here to tell people that there is hope in Jesus Christ. Father, it seems like Satan has us so um, polarized that every tragedy that happens right now, we jump to the political ramifications of that tragedy. We have become just like the world, who only looks for wins. Father, the only win that will matter 100 years from now is the one you, the victory you had on the cross. The veil in the temple was torn in two, and you offered salvation to every man and woman and child. The wages of sin are death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So Father, help us to remember that the solution is not found in a Democrat president or a Republican president, but in God, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who transcends politics and nationalism, who transcends the lies and the hate and morality and offers grace and forgiveness and changed life for everyone. Lord, our hearts go out to those who lost family members who were just going to Walmart and a mall on a Saturday morning who lost their family, Father. can't imagine the grief. Our heart goes out to those in in Ohio, Father, who lost family members. For states that are shocked, for a nation that will begin arguing over the solution, Lord Jesus, may the body of Christ speak up that the answer is Jesus. Lord, help us to be people of compassion. Help us to be people uh, of of obedience and servants of And I thank you, Father, that we can gather here together as the church in good times and bad for the sole purpose of lifting up the name of Jesus. So be lifted up, Father. Be lifted up. Inhabit the worship of your children. Remind us that you're good. Remind us that you're in control. And remind us this morning that we have not been left here, abandoned until heaven, but we have been called to serve. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name we pray. Christ Jesus my Lord for his sake I've discarded everything else counting it as all garbage so that I can gain Christ and I become one with him I no longer
0: count on my own righteousness through obeying the law rather I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself
1: depends on faith
0: Like so many times I think we come into worship and um, we kind of just turn our brains off. and We just kind of read the words on the screen, just kind of follow along with the melody. But we don't really think about what we're singing a lot of times. We're just kind of these words that we're singing. What I want us to do is these next couple songs. I'm going to teach you guys a new song. It's called Build My Life. And, uh, we just sing about everything else is worthless compared to knowing Him. And we're going to finish singing a song that says, I stand amazed in your presence. Let's engage our mind this morning. Not just your heart. Let's engage our mind and think about what we're singing. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever bring. for you and holy there is no one like you there is none besides you oh Jesus, the only one that could ever say, worthy of every breath.
1: Can I have everybody stand? We're going to talk to God. Let's just take a moment. Everybody, if you can, if you're physically able, let's just stand and and talk to the Lord for a moment. I'm going to be quiet for a moment. I want you to talk to your Heavenly Father. Whether you're in this room or you're watching on the internet, if you are a child of God, would you talk to your Father and thank Him for His love for you? You know your sin. Thank Him for His patience and his, his honor to His promise to forgive you from all unrighteousness. Take a moment and thank Him for giving you His Holy Spirit who lives within you and ask Him to, to speak to you this morning. Now I'd like you to pray for me. As I open God's Word before you this morning, pray that my words would be true carefully chosen Lord Jesus as a family we're kind of spread out all over this country we got a team coming back from Guatemala today we got a team coming back from Brazil and some are listening and we got families on vacation trying to get those last minutes in or family reunions Father we want to hear from you this morning we want to hear from you so I ask you Father to take all the other noise and move it away Lord Jesus, for those who know you today, I pray that today they would be encouraged from the deepest places of their heart. For those who do not know you, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day that they meet you and they feel and find hope in God. So Lord, as we open your word this morning, I pray that the words of Mark would fade away so that the words of God would endure forever. Because all that matters isn't what I say or I think, but what your word says. So we love you. We pray for our children as they go to their programming that you would teach them. Your Holy Spirit loves them as well. You love us, so talk to us today, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I'd like to uh, begin this morning. Um, I, don't, I, I, think, I think sometimes in our culture we're so busy moving forward we don't take time, especially even as families, First of all, to to tell ourselves, to think about ourselves, what do I want out of my life? What kind of person do I want to be? Maybe at funerals, but for the most part, we don't think about those things. And if we don't think about them, we're not telling our wives and our children, men. Ladies, we're not telling our husbands and our children. We're not telling our grandchildren what we want to be as men and women of God. We're we're not doing that. And I I think it kind of goes against the nature of this culture right now. Um, I'm going to make reference to this on a few occasions. But the whole concept of much of Christendom today is to live your best life now, and that is diametrically opposed to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ don't, said, don't live for now, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust and thief can't destroy. I want you to know that I believe with all my heart, especially now that we're going through Scripture, Satan has invaded the teachings in the church. Uh, are we just saying that we are thankful for God's love and how he, he forgives us our sin. We, we told him we want him to run our lives. We want him to control us. Now we have to ask if we really mean that. And so did the disciples. They had to ask themselves if they really meant it. And as I was thinking about, after I studied this week, and I was thinking about this, this, the message you're going to hear, I just felt, thought that you should know what I want out of my life. For real. When all the noise is gone and the birthday candles are away, what is it that I want? I want to be a good dad. I want to be a great dad. I want to be a great husband to Julie. Uh, This is a a woman who's never had a man faithful to her before. I want to be that guy. Uh, I want to support you as a pastor. I want you to know that you're loved by God. I, I know most of you want to know that your pastor loves you. I just want you to know that that won't even get you coffee at Denny's. I want you to know that God loves you. And I love you too, but God really loves you. But something as we've been going through this series on, on the life of Jesus, who is this man, this question that we're, we're sincerely asking. And if you haven't been with us up to this point, let me be clear. This is a real question. And, and anybody who's attended here and been part of our study will tell you that we are finding answers that maybe go against the flow of normal Christian thought. Would you agree with that? All right, all eight of you. Thank you. But 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 we it, it kind of goes against our grain, and we've had to. Some of us have had to swallow hard and relook at Scripture and and ask ourselves: Is Mark making stuff up? Is this really what it says? And we've had to ask. We but but in my heart, this is this has woken up part of me that hasn't been woken up in a long time. And I I answered this week for myself: What do I want to be? And I, I want to be a man who knows Jesus from the scripture, not from my theology classes. I want to be a man who knows God for himself, not because of what I was taught in Sunday school. I want to be a disciple in the biblical sense of the word, and I want to be so committed to following Jesus that I follow no questions asked. I mean in reckless abandon, no, even to the point of the world thinking I look, if the church thinking I look foolish. I want to follow him. I want to get up when he gets up and I want to go to sleep when he goes to sleep in, in, as if it's that close, as if I'm one of the 12 or one of the hundreds following him. I really want to be that guy. I want to walk when he walks. I want to sit when he sits and I want to eat when he feeds me and I want to serve him to my last breath. What do you want? That was the question of Jesus to those around him. And I got news for you. No matter what people like me do, I'd say and preach on, that's all God is asking. Let me start this morning by saying something that you're going to have to think on. Jesus Christ did not come to solve a political problem. He didn't come to solve a socioeconomic problem. He did not come to save your marriage. He did not come to make sure your kids grow up well. He came to make you right with himself. He came to seek and save the lost. Anything else he does is through the power of the Holy Spirit and an afterthought. His goal from the beginning of time when Adam and Eve turned their back on him has been to restore our relationship with him. That's it. And as a result of that, to transform us so that we can be salt and light in the world. Not so that the world is a better place to live. Once again, I want to remind you that Jesus never said, I'm going to solve all of the problems here on earth. It's going to be a wonderful place. He said, I'm going to throw this place in hell and I'm going to rebuild it. I mean, the truth is, if you've studied Scripture, even creation has been devastated by sin. Not its own, but ours. It's been devastated. The world is, in fact, falling apart. Whether you believe in global warming or not, that's not the worst thing going on in the world. The world is self-destructing. And that's what sin did. God told Adam and Eve, if you eat of the fruit, you will die. Creation is dying as well, First and Second Peter teach us. And we can't save it. We can't even save people, but we can tell them who can. And that's why we were left here. That's why the disciples were trained. As I thought about what I want to be in Christ, and I I, look, I I know, I I, we are so like geared towards church. This is church. That's our pastor. You know, he's a man of God. That's what we used to say as kids, man of God. My my youth pastor Jerry, I've talked about a few times. He would always say, man of God, boy. I mean, he was so. He was God's marine. The guy was crazy. But the truth is that even as a pastor, I have to decide to love God more than ministry, and 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 the Bible. We don't worship the Bible. It reveals the one we worship, but I have to choose just like you every time I teach a message, every time I study during the week. I have to decide if I'm going to do what this book says as well, and it's easier not to. I can perform. That's why so many of our boys are falling right now. There is a crisis. You know what? It's not a crisis. It's a revolution. God is bringing down false teachers. He's bringing them down. He's raising up men and women of God, people like you, Don't lean into church leadership. Lean into God and pray for us. To be that kind of disciple, though, that Jesus is asking for, to be that, those of us who want to be that, we have to simply learn to flank Jesus as He watches, He teaches, as He walks, teaches, does miracles, eats, and sleeps. That's what we have to do. We have to commit ourselves and discipline ourselves to stop looking at Jesus with the eyes that we have been taught to see Him at, but see Him at He actually is, to step back and actually commit ourselves to reading the Scriptures within their context and understanding Jesus within the context in which He reveals Himself to us. Nothing wrong with commentaries, nothing wrong with hearing preaching. I'm doing that this morning. But what really matters is not what I say, but what God says about Himself. And we have the Word of God to teach us that. Well, I don't understand it. Then pick up a New Living Translation or an RSV. It's not complicated, but it is going to take effort. Paul told Timothy, study to show yourself, young man, a workman who need not be ashamed. We've got to commit ourselves. If we really want to know God, we've got to get into the Word. We've got to study the Word. We've got to understand the Word within its context. So we got to not only know the stories, but do our best to understand them within their historical context and the context of the Scriptures and under the guidance and illumination of the Holy Spirit. And so with that in mind, this morning I want us to do that just that. I want us to, to flank Jesus as He does ministry after His time on the Sermon on the Mount. I want us to put our eyes on the back of our rabbi, Jesus. Jesus is our rabbi. And I want us to put our eyes on the back of His head and I want to flank him watching and listening as he does his thing while he heals, teaches. I want us to knock, to seek, to plead with him, to help us understand what it is he was all about and why he has called, what he has called us to do here in 2019. I want to remind you though, we don't have the daily calendar of Jesus' three and a half years of ministry. What we do have is within context and understanding of the season in which Jesus ministered and idea of things that happened during that time. So while this morning I want to take you on a walk following Jesus, and that's what you're going to get, a ton of Scripture. I I want you to gear your mind this morning, not to listening to me, but to listen to the text and put yourself in that crowd. I want you to just think, what's he doing? So let's go. Jesus had just finished the Sermon on the Mount. We find ourselves this morning with a decent-sized crowd of people, all claiming to be his disciple. And although the Sermon on the Mount that we just finished studying last week was pretty radical, most people didn't walk away at this point. Don't worry, they will soon. But at this point, they're still following. And as we go from one town to another, we watch him heal. We watch him preach. We watch him talk about hope in heaven in the next life, not this one. And after a bit of ministry and walking and teaching and healing, Jesus pulls the 12 hand chosen apostles aside and he starts talking with them. I want you to lean in and listen. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 5. Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's chose, uh, lost sheep. Go and announce to them the kingdom of heaven is near. Now I need you to take a deep breath because you heard and read what it says. In a time where everybody is so stinking offended, as a gentile you might find yourself offended. Why did Jesus tell the disciples not to go to the gentiles and Samaritans? It says what it says, and I've got news for you. I looked at the Greek in this and it means exactly what it says. He wasn't talking about not going to the non-believers. He wasn't talking about going not he was talking about going to people who are Hebrew in who are Hebrews, who are God's lost sheep. And he tells them not to go to the Gentiles and Samaritan, but actually go to the lost sheep of Israel and tell them that the kingdom of heaven is near. And that is kind of crazy. That is like against everything that we sort of expect Jesus to say. The reality is, though, that if we understand the context of Scripture, as I always say, this actually mimics Jesus' ministry. And although in the first year and a half, although he does have interaction with Gentiles, especially Samaritans, remember that he goes to the woman at the well and he ministers to her, and they go in the town. Predominantly, Jesus' focus on, of his ministry was the Hebrew people. For the first year, he spends most of his time talking with the religious leaders of his day, the Jewish religious leaders, and he spends most of his first year of ministry actually in synagogues and temples, trying to reach the religious leaders. They reject him. He goes from there into the Judean countryside into the parts of the Middle East where Hebrew people were predominant. He went from town to town and place to place, and his goal was actually first, the reason he goes there is because the Jewish religious leaders are beginning to gather together and plan to kill him. They're plotting to kill him. It's not time for him to die, so he actually makes his way, and people find out where he's at, and they gather around him, and he ministers to him Again, predominantly Hebrew people. If we are thinking in a biblical context, though, this shouldn't surprise you. Because if you remember, John the Apostle actually outlined Jesus' ministry in John chapter 1, verse 10, where he says that he came into the very world he created, referring to Jesus, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Jesus spent most of his ministry time reaching Hebrew people when he told, uh, and you remember, when he told um, Nicodemus that he wouldn't negotiate eternal life with him, that eternal life is only given through the Holy Spirit when you're born from above. But he said something interesting in a verse that you're very familiar with, John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. In our heads, there's kind of a conflict if you're thinking this morning because he tells the the apostles and he himself spends all of his time with Hebrew people or most of his time and yet it says that he came, his father sent him to save the whole world. Well, I want to remind you that that makes perfect sense because way back in the book of Genesis, God promised that he was going to bless the nation of the world through a Hebrew Savior. In, in John chapter 1, Jesus actually tells, the, uh, or John actually tells us, that Jesus started, came into the world, and ministered to his own, but when they reject him, he then goes to others. I want to remind you that as Jesus tells the disciples to stay in the Jewish communities, he tells the religious leaders towards the end of his ministry this from Matthew 21, verse 28. 43, sorry, there it is. I tell you, and he's talking to the religious leaders, the Jewish, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce proper fruit. He's not talking about America. He's rebuking the Jewish religious leaders. Scripture actually tells us late in the Gospel of John that the religious leaders, and bear with me here because this is all going to make sense in a minute, and you're going to see how important it is. As Jesus spent his time preaching and teaching, it tells us at the end of John that the religious leaders of the Hebrew nation actually knew that he was sent from God, but for fear of being cast out of the temple, refused to worship him. They reject him. Remember the story that I started this series with, where Jesus tells uh, the story of the invitation to the wedding? And he goes first to the honored guests and then he goes to anyone in the, in the alleys and any other dog that wants to come to the party. Do you remember that story? And why does he go beyond the honored guests? Because the honored guests don't want him. This is completely consistent as everything else we've talked about with Jesus' teaching. But I do want to remind you that that message changed in Matthew 28 after the resurrection of Jesus Christ when Jesus Christ told the disciples this in Matthew 28. Jesus came, this is after the resurrection, and he told the disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, so here's what I want you to do, boys. Go and make disciples of who? All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So, in other words, Jesus begins his ministry by speaking to the Jews and actually spends three and a half years talking to predominantly Hebrew groups. Why? Because he goes to his own. He wants them, he promised that they would be the blessing to the world, that out of them would come a a Hebrew Savior that would bless the nations. He tells the disciples in this instruction to them, I want you to go to the Hebrew people. I want you to go to them, and and don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans. That time will come, but it's not yet. After the crucifixion, when when the veil in the temple is ripped in two, that is a huge statement. It is no longer through the Hebrew religion that people are found Jesus Christ. That's the old, or salvation, that's through the old covenant. I have made a new covenant through my blood. And now any man, woman, or child, no matter who they are or what they've done, no matter what their sin is, salvation is available through me, the Messiah, through the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the Jews, right? Of the world. Why does this matter? Number one, Jesus is not some ragtag guy traveling the countryside. He's on mission. There's a task, there's a calendar, there's an organization to it, it isn't random. And you would think today, because we have so isolated ourselves from the will and plan and understood ca- uh, counsel of God, and we, we, we evaluate life based upon our experiences rather than our faith in God, we think that it is chaos down here. What happened last night is tragic, but while it's tragic, it is not chaos, God is still on the throne. He's still offering Himself and His kingdom to anyone who wants it. And within that kingdom is order. It is divine order. What we are trying to offer the world is peace without God. I'm here to tell you there is no peace without God. And for those of you living in the flesh, for those of you who do not know Jesus Christ, for those of you who are not living surrendered to God, how's that working for you? You might be a believer going, I was just diagnosed with cancer. It hasn't helped me much. Well, that's not what God promised you. He promised you peace in the midst of the storm, and not just you. Back to Matthew 10. He told them to go first to the Hebrews. Don't go to the Gentiles or Samaritan, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them the kingdom of heaven is, is near. Now listen to His instructions. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Their message, like Christ, would be validated by supernatural activity. I want to begin by saying that I believe that God is still a supernatural God, and I believe that He heals. But He doesn't heal in the same way the apostles heal. It doesn't seem to be happening. Otherwise, Benny Hinn would be walking up and down aisles of hospitals and people would get up out of wheelchairs that we've known were in wheelchairs for 40 years. These guys, they would. Ca- there are stories of the apostles casting their shadow as they walk into town and people would get up and walk. That's what these guys did. And, and no matter what you believe about faith healing today, the truth is it ain't being done like it was done here. Jesus is instructing them that they are to go and heal. And the reason is, is because it was the evidence of the validity of their message. While many claim to be rabbis and speak on behalf of God, only God's actual messengers could validate it by supernatural means. The supernatural fruit that grows, uh, that works in us, okay, take a breath because I want to connect something. You might say, well, wouldn't it be more effective for the kingdom if we could do supernatural miracles? The answer is no, you are the supernatural miracle. You see, the truth is, these guys, they didn't have the same indwelling of the Holy Spirit that began at Pentecost. You see, they didn't have the fruit of the Spirit exubed through their life. These were men called to a message. And that explains why they were so messed up even in following Jesus for two years. They still didn't get it. While they're heading to the upper room where Jesus Christ is about to tell them he's going to die... And he's already told them at least nine times that I'm not going to stay with you. I'm going to die. I'll be resurrected on the third day. And then, and he t- he's told them this. They're still debating. James and John specifically, send their mom and ask Jesus, when you start your kingdom, can my boys sit on your right and your left? They don't get it. This was not about starting a kingdom, this was about saving people of every kingdom. That's why Jesus came first. Certainly he would be the king of kings, but he was going to do it as a servant first, and they didn't get it. Why? Because they were not filled with the Holy Spirit. They did not have the illumination that comes. Yes, He breathes on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit, and they do miraculous things. But that was the evidence that God had anointed their message. The evidence that God has anointed your message is the fruit of the Spirit's presence in your life. Now you're starting to understand how significant it is. You see, you've been told that this is all about heaven and hell, and that that's all that matters. And once you say that magic prayer, watch that aisle, you're baptized, you're good. Now go on with your life, try to live good and comfortably, and we'll see you in heaven. That is not what this is about. You and I have been called out from the world, uniquely inhabited by the Holy Spirit, who can, be, who can be seen by those around us as we surrender to Him and our life is different. That's what changes lives. Not our ability to argue, not our ability to wrestle people down, and not our lies to them. The truth is, people know our God when our God is in control of our lives and the supernatural power of God is seen through us. Why aren't you panicky? Because I know my God's in control. You were just diagnosed with a horrible disease. God's still in control. Anybody can worship God when life is good. And they do. Watch a Hollywood award show. I'd like to thank God for this opportunity. Whoa, hey, what? Whoa, 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 I thought you don't believe in God. Well, you know, whoever's out there. The truth is everybody worships when it's good, but only children of God worship when it's not. And I'm talking about not demanding that God prove himself to you by making you better. I'm talking about bowing the knee. But these men didn't have that. These men were before the New Testament, the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. These men would have to validate their message, not by a New Testament that you could refer to, or not by the Holy Spirit's uh, uh, fruit in their life, but by the Holy Spirit's activity through them. And so he tells them to heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. You give as freely as you have received. Verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 9. Don't take any money in your money belts. No gold, silver, or even copper coins. Okay, coins. Now, take a breath. I, I want you to realize, this isn't a Bible passage. This is a real story. This is a... <laughs> nice. This is a real story. That's just the speaker's. It's a real story. Jesus is talking to real men, 12 of them. One is Judas, and he's telling them, I'm now sending you out, and I want you to go tell people about my kingdom. Go tell them. And while you're at it, I want you to heal the sick. I want you to do all these things. But here's how you're going to do that. Talking to the 12, don't take any money in your money belts. No gold, silver, or even copper coins. Don't carry a traveler's bag or a change of clothes or sandals. And don't buy a walking stick. I added that because that's what the Greek infers, and I want to keep it honest. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. Whenever you enter a city or village, search for a worthy person and stay in his home until you leave town. When you enter the home, give it your blessing. That was very Jewish of them. If you go into a a conservative Jewish home today, you'll see the Scripture on the wall, and those who are faithful Jews will touch it as they go. They'll kiss it. They'll put their hand on it. That is blessing the home as well as saying, I honor the Scriptures the Old Testament, the Torah. So when they would go in, they would bless it when you enter. If it turns out to be a worthy home, let your blessing stand. If it's not, take back the blessing. If any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. I tell you the truth, the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah will be better off than such a town on Judgment Day. You know what he's telling them? Hey, boys, thanks for being my followers. Thanks for committing. Now I'm sending you out and you're going to do miracles. And they must have been going, yeah, baby, yeah. Don't pack. Don't even go buy a walking stick. In fact, I want you to leave right now. I don't have a change of underwear. I don't want you to have a change of underwear. Well, where are we going to stay? Don't worry about it. When you go into a town, if people greet you, you stay in their house. You know, it, was a, it is a Middle Eastern, whether it's Islam or Hebrew, Judaism, to always welcome guests. Those that were wealthy always had a room on the back that was a guest room. This is part. They, they weren't going to have a hard time finding a place to sleep. That was part of culture. I refer you back to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's one of the reasons why Lot invited the angels in. That was very normal. Culture matters. They shouldn't have been afraid of where to sleep, even if there wasn't a holiday inn. They would have known that everywhere they go, they would be welcomed. But once they started preaching and doing miracles, if people reject the message or them, they were to remove their blessing on the house. Those who bless you, you bless. And remove the blessing from those who do not. And Jesus is saying to them, I will bless and judge as you do. These apostles had incredible authority. Much of the bad theology that you are hearing throughout Christendom today is based upon misunderstanding who he's talking to. These these men were given supernatural authority, and Acts confirms that out as well as historical, extra-biblical documents. These guys could do amazing things. Well, how come it's not for me too, or how do I know it's not for me? If you think it's for you, stand up and heal somebody. I mean, the fact is you can't do it. You've never seen it. Well, Benny Henn does it. Benny Hen's breath is bad. That's why he knocks people over. I, I, I shouldn't make that joke. I want you to understand something. There is, a great, there is a great heresy in the church today. And the heresy isn't what they're doing. It's that the church believes that God exists to make their life better. That's a heresy. The church does not exist. God did not die on the cross. He, did not, he does not live in heaven going, oh man, Mark just got a bad toenail fungus. I got to heal him but unless he says the exact magic words that goes to the right healer, that fungus is staying. Father, please help Mark find the right healer. That is not our God. That's not how this works. You see, the fact is that Jesus Christ came to make people right with themselves. That's why he came. And all this other stuff that we sell from good families to morality to politics is a satanic distraction to keep people from bowing the knee to God. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, uh, you're preaching like a Baptist. Well, let's let Jesus preach. Verse 16. Why do I want you to bless and curse? Why will I honor that? Verse 16. Look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So if you're here this morning and you disagree with what I just said, and you want to own this stuff, you have to own this as well. You Ready? I am sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. But beware, for you will be handed over to the courts and will be flogged with whips in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other unbelievers believers about me. That's the goal. You see, the goal isn't to stay out of jail. The goal isn't to stay and have a good, comfortable life, which is often preached. The goal is to tell people about Jesus. That's the goal. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and our unbelievers about me. When you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. You see, we always, not we, but people in our Christian culture today, they want to pick and choose what verses we're taught. This is one context. These are instructions to the apostles, and it starts out great. I get to, what? Yes, I get to be part of the circus. Well, the reason you're part of the circus is because it's going to validate the message because they're going to throw you in prison. And when they do, you're going to stand before judges and kings. It's going to be nasty. Don't worry. I'm going to tell you what to say. He doesn't say, if you pray right, if you say, if you genuflect, if you stand on your hands, or if you find the right person, it's going to solve your problem. That's not what he says. He says, don't worry about it. That is your opportunity to even tell the most high officials about me. Do you see this? You really, really need to see this. Even if you believe in faith healing, it was never, ever about us, it was about the message of God. Verse 20, 21, it gets a little worse. A brother will betray his brother to death, a father will betray his own child, and children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And all nations will hate you because you are my followers, but everyone who endures to the end will be saved. What? The nations of the world were really nice people. I mean, I had a lot of friends when I was a fisherman, Peter thought. I was really nice. You know, Paul would write later in 1 Corinthians that if I wanted to have the favor of men, I would not follow Jesus Christ. You see, the problem with following Jesus... Uh, I'm, actually, I'm, I'm going to let him speak for himself in just a moment. 1 John 2.19 tells us why Josh walked away from the faith this week. For those of you who know what I'm talking about, It's not Carpenter's Way. It's a guy who wrote, I kissed dating goodbye. Well, this week he kissed Jesus goodbye. Do you know why? Because 1 John 2.19 says he was never of us. The reason people walk away is not because they're just wayward. When they deny Christ, the truth is they were never of Christ. Well, how can you say that, Pastor? He ministered for 30 years. I can say that because John says it. And let me be clear. Too many of us forever, from the Jews to us today, use Jesus or God as the means to get what we want. I give you the history of the United States. Many of the Catholic missionaries lost their life as they ministered to the people in the Pacific Southwest. Many of our evangelical missionaries were just wards of the state who went over and they killed people who didn't repent. It was never our job in the 1800s and early 1900s to go to China and make the Chinese like Americans. That's where some of our missionaries were actually rejected in the States. They were rejected in this country. Like Lottie Moon, read her story. She dressed like those people. She acted like those people. She taught them to worship in their own way, in their own language and culture, but always based upon the Scriptures. And when she came back to the United States, she was rejected for it. Well, how can that be? We honor her today. We're a little smarter today. But the truth is that we are sent to every nation of the world not to make them like America, but to make them like Jesus. And the only way somebody becomes like Jesus is when He inhabits them. When they bow the knee to Him, make Him Lord of their life, the Holy Spirit comes in and He transforms them. If you got saved from sex outside of marriage through Jesus Christ, you're not saved. You see, Jesus Christ came to make people right with Himself so that we could be the adopted children of God, so that we could walk with Him, so that we could have fellowship with Him, not so that we could stay virgins until we got married. Jesus Christ did not come to save the United States of America. He did not come to save even the nation of Israel. He did not come to make us moral and to overthrow gay marriage. He didn't come for any of those reasons. He came to seek and save that which is lost. That's what He came to do. Jews first and Gentiles. And we really, look, we're just... Halfway through our study of Jesus' ministry, but I got news for you. If you're tired of that message, you're not going to like the rest. And and you don't even have to like what I have to say, but but this is what it is. Jesus Christ came to save sinners, and everything he does, from the minute he starts ministry at his baptism until he's crucified, and actually ascends into heaven, everything he does somehow points people to that, including tasking these men. Matthew 10, 23. Why? I mean, they must have, these 12 must have been going, well, that's not a very rousing. I mean, if I ran a football team, and you can tell by the way I'm built, I should. But um, if, if I was a coach and we were about to play the game of our lives, I would simply try to cheer them up. Oh, yeah, we're going to go out there. We're going to destroy them. These people, they come from, I mean, they come from, I can't think of a place, Louisiana. We can beat these people with our eyes closed. Let's go. What Jesus says actually to them is uh, they're going to arrest you. They're going to throw you in front of judges. There's going to be rough times. So I want you to bless those who bless you. Go ahead and curse those or remove the blessing from those who do not. Um, I'm telling you this because it's going to get rough. And why is it going to get rough? Jesus, you know, Peter, Jesus, why is it going to get rough? Verse 24 of Matthew 10. Students are not greater than their teacher, and slaves are not greater than their master. Students are to be like their teacher, and slaves are to be like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the members of my household will be called even worse names. That's not living your best life now. Verse 26, But don't be afraid of those who threaten you, for a time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. What I tell you now in darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ears, shout from the housetops for all to hear. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable or precious to God than the whole flock of sparrows. Somebody tell me why Jesus tells them twice not to be afraid. Because they're afraid. This is not the kind of of conversation you listen to the king of the universe telling you about, who knows what your life is going to be like. This is not the kind where you high-five each other and go, this is going to get awesome. This is going to get rough. Verse 32, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone... Somebody asked me recently, how do you know what he's talking to specific people versus what he's talking generally speaking? When he says everyone, it's beyond the twelve. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. (laughs) Let's close in prayer. Put that on your next Christmas card. That's our next church sign. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. That's why we don't have a church sign. I'm not good at it. I want you to put this... Seriously, this is not... He's not talking about just at this moment in history. You want to know why Hollywood mocks us? Because they don't believe in us or our God. They mock God. They use His name in vain in every movie you watch. We act surprised that the world is the world. Look... I, you know, I, I want to be careful on this. I, I like the movie, but somebody was mentioning earlier The Highwaymen, the movie on Netflix that's Kevin Costner about um, the FBI agents or, or the Texas Rangers who took down Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, it's From what I, I was reading about it, it's, it's a very interesting movie. It's the, it's the first movie ever made from the perspective of the police officers or the cops involved. At the end of the movie, when they're dead and they're taken into the Louisiana town, hundreds of people surrounded the vehicles and tried to rip their hair off and their fingers off and their rings off because they were folk heroes. You think our culture's messed up now? I want to go ahead and apologize now because some of your parents went to school with them. You've told me, just to be clear, they're not folk heroes. Neither was White These were evil people. And they didn't save a culture. They rewrote history to make them look good. The only folk hero is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that offers hope, you guys, and you know that. There's just a fear that if we give him control of everything, the world will hate us and people will throw us in prison and we'll have to stand before judges and kings. Well, pastor, this is just for them, not if you're living in China or the Middle East right now. Yeah, I I agree, this is is for them. This is what they're going to experience in the next few years. And all of them but one will be killed for their faith. Thomas is going to be stoned to death in in India. And, well, I mean, you guys know many of the stories. You can get online and read about them. The only one who doesn't die for his faith is John. That's because he's living out on on a prison island in Patmos. His life was worse than those who died for their faith. Everything Jesus says happens. But like Peter, history tells us that when Peter was about to be crucified, one of his final words is, don't hang me up like Jesus. You hang me upside down. I'm not worthy to die as my Lord. Loudmouth Peter, what happened to him? He fell in love with Jesus. You see, I think, it's my opinion, I know we love Christianity. I know we love the miracles and the prayer and the music, but do we love Jesus? Do we love Jesus? I love Jesus. When was the last time you spent time alone with him? If you love someone, you spend time with them. I don't want all those difficult things. Then don't sign up. You see, this is the evangelism call. Sign up and die. I know, nobody would come. Yes, they will. Those who realize that this life offers them nothing and only Jesus offers them everything. Don't imagine, don't even imagine, don't even dream it, that I came to bring peace to this earth I came, to, I, I, I came not to bring peace but a sword Jesus talking verse 35 I have come to set a man against his father a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law your enemies will be right in your household yes more good news from Jesus and this is tough this is, these are the words of Jesus we just couldn't put him in those little stained glass things these are the words of Jesus Verse 37, if you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of of being mine. If you love your son or your daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. Wait a minute, I thought that was an option. Apparently not. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give your life for me, Anyone who receives you receives me, and anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. If you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you will be given the same reward as the prophet. But if you, And if you receive righteous people because of the righteousness, you will be given a reward like theirs. And if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my fathers, you will surely be rewarded. When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to the twelve disciples, he went out to teach and preach in towns throughout the region. I would never preach this message if it wasn't Jesus' message. And it's only hopeful if you realize that you are not to live your best life down. This is actually where we work and pick up our cross and follow Christ. He's going to prepare a place for us where thief and moth and rust can't destroy the inheritance that's coming. But to live hopeful in the midst of this stuff that we are still experiencing, you got to put your hope there. you got to put all of your eggs in his basket. That's what it means in Romans when it says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord, that's what it means. Where you bow the knee and say, you're the only one who can save me from what? Everything. It's going to get rough, I know. When Jesus was finished with this, He went on to teach and preach. You want to know what that looked like? Matthew chapter eight, verses five to thirteen, is a story in this time of his life. This is what it looked like when Jesus returned to Capernaum. A Roman officer came and pleaded with him, "Lord, your servant lies in uh, my servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain." Jesus said, "I will come and heal him." But the officer said, "Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come even into my house. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed." I know this because I am, a, uh, I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if you say to my slaves, do this, they do that. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and turning to those who were following him. You want to know what this was all about? It was about those watching. All those hundreds of disciples following. Jesus is interacting with the Gentile. He's interacting with somebody that should not be interacted with by a, by a Jewish rabbi. He turns to them, and he observes the following. I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in anywhere in Israel. That's not, a, that's not a blessing. That's a wow. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from the east and the west, and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob at the feast of the kingdom of heaven and many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown out into the utter darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, you go back home because you believed it has happened. And the young servant was healed that same hour. Now please understand, when Jesus says, because you believed, faith healers will tell you that's because it was their faith that healed him. Don't be deceived. It was was Jesus' power that healed him. And it wasn't his faith in Jesus to make his life better. It was his faith in Jesus. The conversation says, you have authority over everything. So where else am I going to go? I want my servant healed, and I'm coming to you knowing that you have authority over all this. Please heal him. This wasn't about getting a healing to anybody but that Roman guy. To Jesus, this was about faith. And the Jews didn't put their faith in Jesus for anything other than food, health, and a nationalistic victory. They didn't put their faith in Jesus for uh, spiritual renewal. You'll see that soon enough. They didn't want him to fix their their spiritual problem. They were satisfied with the old covenant. That's what Scripture told us. We've already read it. Jesus was talking about new wine and and new wineskins. He was talking about old wine. And he said, those who, who love the old wine are satisfied with it, so they will not come for the new wine. Remember that? Jesus' own words. Do we want the new wine? You either drink it all or you don't drink it at all at all. That's what Jesus said. There's no such thing as halfway Christianity. There's no such thing as just being saved from hell and not being saved from yourself. There's no such thing as, as, as praying a prayer and going to heaven but not walking with God or being transformed by him. That, those things don't exist in Scripture. This gets crazier. Matthew 11, I promise I'm almost done. This is really important that you just let this soak in, this story. So Jesus just told the disciples, and this is, Matthew puts these in order for a reason. So Jesus just told the disciples that I want you to go out and I want you to present my message, and here you're going to, you're going to endorse, it's going to be endorsed by the Father by doing these supernatural things. Some people are going to hate you like they hated me. A servant is not better than his master. It's going to be difficult down here, so I want you to preach all this stuff. And then he tells another, uh, another story happens. So let's follow. We're walking with Jesus now, and we're going in and out of towns. We leave Capernaum. Dude's, been, dude's servant's been healed. We go, and when Jesus finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, who was in prison, had heard about who was in prison. Please take note. He will die in prison. He will never get out. He knows that he's about to die. That story comes up later, but you just need to know this now. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all these things the Messiah was doing. This is John the Baptist, not the Southern Baptist, but the baptizer, right? This is the guy who said, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When his disciples were concerned that Jesus' group was growing and his group was shrinking, he told his disciples, that guy needs to increase, I need to decrease. This is what a faithful man of God looks like. Watch what he does. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we be looking for someone else? This is John the baptizer. This is the end of his life, the last few weeks of his life. This is what he asked. He blinked. You know why? He's about to die. So for those of you this morning that are in the midst of the crisis, whatever your crisis is, and you're going, I sure hope he's God. Good, you've got, you're in great company. So did John. John sent his people to go, you better go ask Jesus if he's the one. I put all my hope in his basket. And Jesus is so angry at him, this is what he said. He's not angry. You see, the story is about two different kinds of people. You give me everything, life will get hard. But Jesus even shows us a man who doubted that you can't even imagine doubting. Jesus told them, go back and tell John. Tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk. Those with leprosy are cured. The death here, the dead are raised to life. Why those specific things? Because Isaiah prophesied that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would do that. The good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall because, uh, away because of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began, talk, uh, began talking about him to the crowds, the disciples, us couple hundred people following him. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed, swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No. People with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yeah. And he's more than a prophet, talking about John. John is the man to whom the Scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare a way before you. I tell you the truth, all uh, of all who ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcibly advancing, and, and violent people are attacking it. For before John came, all the prophets and the laws of Moses looked forward to this present time. And if you are willing to accept what I say, he's Elijah, the one the one the prophets said would come. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. To what can I compare this generation? It's like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends. We played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. For John didn't spend his time eating and drinking. And you say, he's possessed by a demon. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say, well, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Then Jesus began to denounce. He's not done. I know some of you are going, what the heck is he talking about? Pay attention. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many of his miracles, but they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. Hold the scripture right there. Jesus began to denounce the town square where he had done so many of his miracles, but they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. Healed but not saved is apparently a thing. And you know it because you know the story of the ten lepers, right? Nine Jews and one Samaritan. Jesus heals them all and they all walk away. Jesus tells them to go to the temple and on the way back they're healed. And it's only the Samaritan runs back to Jesus and bows and worships. Because this was never about being healed. This was about Jesus introducing himself and people having the opportunity to run back to him and ask for more. And nine went to hell because they didn't bow the knee to Jesus. They just appreciated the healing. Because what they wanted is not salvation. What they wanted was salvation in this life so that they could live their best life. I would be glad to engage anybody in that discussion who wants to talk about that book. It's a lie from hell. You are supposed to sacrifice this life for the next. We are supposed to pick up our cross and follow him. That is not living our best life. Jesus said, anyone who doesn't pick up their cross is not worthy of me. We have fed a lie to another generation that you can pray a prayer walk an aisle, and go to heaven. Even if it never changes you, that's a lie. Because when that happens, the Holy Spirit comes in and he begins to transform you. And according to the New Testament, the only way to know you are a child of God is the fruit of the Spirit's presence. And I know that's tough on some. I thought you were a Baptist. I never said I was a Baptist. I do believe in eternal security if you truly have the Holy Spirit living within you. And it has nothing to do with tongues. Now I've offended the rest of the group. It's about the fruit of the Spirit's presence. You know, having peace when you shouldn't. Having joy when you shouldn't. Having hope. Loving people that you shouldn't love. I'll say that one again. Loving people you shouldn't love. Remember, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, long-suffering. Loving people you shouldn't love like waitresses who pour tea in your laps or people who cut you off in traffic or people who illegally come into our country or fill in the blank. That's the fruit of the Spirit. If you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, you have every right to question whether the Spirit's in there. If I take an orange and I paint it red and I write the word apple on it, it's still an orange. How do I know? Squeeze it. If I claim to be a child of God, but I don't have the fruit of God's presence in my life, I should question whether I have the fruit of the Spirit. This was never about not going to hell. This was about being the adopted child of God. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had gone and done so many of his miracles because they hadn't repented of their sin and turned to God. I'm almost done. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethesda? Bethsaida, For if the miracles I did in you had been done in the wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing cells in burlap and throwing ashes on their head to show their remorse. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on Judgment Day than you. And you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom would be better off on Judgment Day than you. At the time Jesus prayed this prayer, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves to be wise and clever and for revealing them uh, to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal it. Then Jesus said, this is the context of this verse that you know. Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heaven burdens, and I'll give you rest Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and my burden I give you is light. That's the context of that passage. It's not that it will make your life better or that your problems will go away. It is that you will carry my yoke, you will carry my burdens that are lighter, but I will give you rest. You will rest in me and find hope for your souls and find peace and joy. My friends, Jesus is the solution to your crisis. He may not take your crisis away, but he will give you hope in it. And when it's time for your crisis to go away, he'll take your life from you and give you a new one. Our hope is found in Jesus. Our hope is found in eternal life. Our wealth is found not here but there. Our hope is found not in a healthy body, but in the new healthy body we'll get. That is where our hope is found. Our solution to the world's problems is not social justice It is eternal justice with a God who sits on his throne. Even while you're being mistreated, there is hope, not for this life, but for the next. Brothers and sisters, put your hope in God and his eternal plan. This is the message of Jesus. It goes on and on and repeats itself. And in about 42 years, when we're finished with this study, you're going to be so bored of the same message. Because it is the same message don't put your hope in now, put your hope in then. Because lots of people asked Jesus for a healing and they got it and they got hell as a result. Be careful of making God give you what you want instead of what you need. Do you see it? Or am I making this up? The message of Jesus was exactly the same as the message of Paul. One more passage, Romans 12. And so dear brothers and sisters, I please lead with you, to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind you will find acceptable. This is how we actually worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. A lot of times in the church we look just like the world. We want the exact same things the world wants. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you then you will learn to know what God's will for you is. And it's good. Pleasing. Perfect. Like how to have hope when you've got cancer. How to have hope when you're in prison. How to have hope when life isn't fair and your spouse leaves leaves you. How to have hope in God and not in your experience. Lord Jesus, I pray, Father, that Most people in this room this morning bow the knee to you and they love you, and they want to be like you, but Father, we struggle with our flesh so much. We want a comfortable, good life. I want that. But I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit inside me saying, "Seek more than a good life. Seek me. Because even when this life lets you down, then I never will. And so Father God, we bow the knee to you once again and say, "Make our lives a living sacrifice." change the way we think and in turn change the way we behave thank you for the word of god that has recorded the teachings of jesus for us so that we can't stray without knowing we're off the path in jesus name i pray amen bible study is going to start in about five minutes if you don't have one we'd love to direct you to one